Well, welcome. I want to say Merry Christmas. That's like the first time I've said that, I think, to anyone. Um, and it feels weird still. I don't know about you, but it's, it's all come on so quick. Um, December 11th already. Two weeks from today is Christmas Day, and it is catching up with me. I was sitting there um, worshiping with all of you in the seats, which I don't get to do very often. Um, so it's fun to be able to do that. But it struck me as I just prayed how, how easy it is for us to become passive observers. The path of least resistance, right? It's, it's comfortable, it's nice, it's easy, it, it's safe to observe. Um, but the Christmas story is not one that was meant to be observed, but one that was meant to be lived, experienced in a powerful way. Um, so I want to I share the story of Christmas with you. And as I do, um, I want to try to paint a picture for you that's vivid enough that you can actually put yourself there. And for, for some people, this is easier than others. For me, I can close my eyes and I can... I can see things, and I can, I, I can hear things, and I can smell things. Um, I want you to try to do that as I read this story, because I want us to try to, to get there, because there's nuances in this story that we miss. And most often, we remember details, and we miss the heart of God. And I don't want us to miss the heart of God tonight. So if you need to close your eyes, if you need to put your head down, um, do it. <clears throat> Mary, a young virgin, was living in Galilee of Nazareth was engaged to be married to Joseph, a Jewish carpenter. An angel visited her and explained to her that she would conceive of a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. She would carry and give birth to this child, and she would name him Jesus. At first, Mary was afraid and troubled by the angel's words. Being a virgin, Mary questioned the angel, how can this be? The angel explained that the child would be God's own son, and therefore nothing is impossible with God. Humbled, and in awe, Mary believed the angel of the Lord and rejoiced in God, her Savior. Surely Mary reflected with wonder on the words found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. For telling this event, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. That stuck out to me this week as I was reading and writing this. Um, this is Mary, this is a young Jewish girl growing up in the tradition that every young Jewish girl would have. In fact, the stories that they had passed down from one generation to the next, they were part of these people's identity like we can't possibly understand. So Mary had heard this, this passage from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, this, this prophecy. I want to read it again. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. She had heard this story before, like all too well, I'm guessing. And here in this moment, in this moment, I wonder if she's putting the pieces together. Oh my goodness, I'm that virgin. The story that I've been told my entire life about how the Savior of the world would come into the world. Am I really part of that story? While Mary was still engaged to Joseph, she miraculously became pregnant through the Holy Spirit, as foretold by the angel. When Mary and Joseph, when Mary told Joseph she was pregnant, he had every reason to feel disgraced. He knew the child was not his own, and Mary's apparent unfaithfulness carried a grave social stigma. Joseph not only had the right to divorce Mary under Jewish law, she could be put to death by stoning. Although Joseph's initial reaction was to break the engagement, the appropriate thing for a righteous man to do, he treated Mary with extreme kindness. He did not want to cause her further shame, so he decided to act quietly. 
But God sent an angel to Joseph in a dream to verify Mary's story and reassure him that this marriage to her was God's will. The angel explained that the child within Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that his name would be Jesus, and that he was the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke from his dream, he willingly obeyed God and took Mary home to be with his wife. In spite of the public humiliation he would face, perhaps this noble quality is one of the reasons God chose him to be the Messiah's earthly father. Joseph, too, must have wondered in, in awe as he remembered the words found in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, and he will give birth. she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. At that time, Caesar Augustus decreed that a census should be taken, and every person in the entire Roman world had to go to his own town, birth town, to register. Joseph, being of the line of David, was required to go to Bethlehem to register with Mary. While in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth to Jesus. Probably due to the census, the inn was too crowded, and Mary gave birth in a crude stable. She wrapped the baby in cloths and placed him in a manger. Out in the fields, the angels, an angel of the Lord appeared to, to some shepherds who were tending their flocks of sheep by night. The angel announced that the Savior had been born in the town of David. Suddenly, a great host of heavenly beings appeared with the angels and began singing praises to God. As the angelic beings departed, the shepherds decided to travel to Bethlehem to see this Christ child. There they found Mary and Joseph and the baby in the stable. After their visit, they began to spread the word about this amazing child and everything the angel had said about him. They went on their way, still praising and glorifying God, but Mary kept quiet, treasuring their words and pondering them in her heart. It must have been beyond her ability to grasp that sleeping in her arms, the tender child she had just born was the savior of the world. After Jesus' birth, Herod was king of Judea. At this time, wise men, magi from the east, saw a star they followed in search, knowing the star signified the birth of the king of the Jews. The wise men came to the Jewish rulers in Jerusalem and asked where the Christ was to be born. The rulers explained in Bethlehem in Judea, referring to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Herod secret, secretly met with the magi and asked them to report back after they had found the child Herod told the Magi that he, too, wanted to go and worship the babe. But secretly, Herod was plotting to kill this child. The wise men continued to follow the star in search of the newborn king and found Jesus with his mother in Bethlehem. Most likely, Jesus was already about two years of age at this time. They bowed and worshipped him, offering him treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they left, they did not return to Herod. They had been warned in a dream of his plot to destroy the child. This is the story. Uh, maybe it's a story that you've heard a lot. Maybe um, there's parts of this story that you know really, really well. Um, this story screams so much about the heart of God that tends to get lost in the details. We all know about the virgin birth, the shepherds, the three wise men. We know about the star placed perfectly over the barn, right? The place where he would be born. We even put stars on the top of our Christmas tree. We know the details, we know the specifics, but I wonder if in general the details of this story, they get lost. They distract us from the intended purpose of this story. It becomes kind of a caricature or like a, a cartoon that's, that's unfolding before our eyes. And it doesn't help that, that so much of what happens in this story just feels like a cartoon. Like how could that possibly have ever happened? At the end of this season, so often we walk away. 
and having no impact on our lives and the way we live them, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see the world. Um, one of the things that I think is most significantly lost in this story is the role of the ordinary in God's story of grace. God chose shepherds to be the first ones to hear about the birth of the Savior. The first Noel, and maybe you've heard that song. It says the first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields where they lay. Right? Shepherds were the first ones to find out. They weren't exceptional shepherds. They weren't a different kind. This is not like translated into different, like something else to mean actual kings. No, these were shepherds, stinky, smelly, bottom of the food chain. This is who gets to hear about it first. He chose a barn for the location of his birth. He chose Bethlehem, a nameless, worthless, meaningless town at the time. Nothing special about it. Everything about the Christmas story reveals God's value for the ordinary, the plain, the simple. I've wondered why at times. I think it's simple because people value extraordinary and God values ordinary. Everything about the Christmas story flips value on top of its head. The way that Jesus came into the world is how he intended to live for the rest of his life. To flip upside down the social contract that he came into. To show us what really matters to the heart of God. Here's the thing. If we pursue extraordinary in our own right, on our own terms, it leaves no room for God to have his way into my life. We might find a measure of it, but in Jesus, in the miracle of the Advent story, when we choose to embrace ordinary, we experience something more, something profoundly unique. As the angel said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. When we reach for extraordinary, we get regular. When we choose to embrace a posture of ordinary, of humility, it leaves room for God to come and do the impossible. Mary understood that well, although at the time I'm not sure she actually did. And so that's where I want to sort of like, like hone in today. It's no secret um, if you read any of my articles or heard me preach before, I love the story of Mary. It's one of, it's one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. It, she's one of my favorite people in the entire Bible. And I know that's not like, like a really big surprise. That's kind of like saying that your favorite food is pizza, right? Everybody loves Mary. What's, what is there to not like about Mary? Um, but I think some things that, that God has shown me in the life of Mary um, might make us a little more uncomfortable with the story of Mary than, anyone, than any of us ever actually wanted to. Um, so if that happens to you tonight, I'm sorry, but, but I want to go there. Um, so if you have um, your worship flyer, you can pull it out and you can follow along if you want, or you can just sit back and listen. Um, but number one on your outline is very simple. It says, Mary was ordinary. There's just nothing special about this person. There's nothing that stood out. Nowhere in the actual biblical narrative does it say anything that would lead us to believe that Mary was special or unique or like significant somehow. In fact, everything we read about her tells us this is one of the most regular, ordinary people that has ever been born on this planet. As we reflect on Mary's life tonight, I want us to connect with this. To me, there's no better example of the value that God places on ordinary than the life of Mary. I want to flesh that out a little bit tonight. But I want you, uh, my hope and prayer is that you might reflect on your own heart, on your own life. In your relationship with the words extraordinary and ordinary. Are you striving for extraordinary? Are you, are you striving to be special, searching for significance through accomplishment? If so, you may find some. But in Jesus... There's something way more powerful. 
that he can bring to our lives. To miss, to miss the reality of the ordinary nature of Mary's life, I think, is to miss the point of her role in the story altogether. There's no human being in all of human history that people have attempted to turn into a god or an exceptional human being or, or something different. We want her to be different. We want her to be special. We want her to be holy. We want her to be godly. And so we elevate her. We put her up on a platform. As human beings, we've even stretched that desire so far that we've sort of turned her into, her into some kind of superhuman. We want her to be something special. But to see Mary as extraordinary in her own right is to miss the point of her life altogether. We minimize the strength that God added to her life through her faith. And we miss her impact altogether. In Luke chapter 1, Mary's simple, meaningless, obscure, young life is bombarded by the creator of the universe, universe with a call to live out something extraordinary. Why did God choose her? Why did God decide she was the right one to be the mother of Jesus? Because she was special? Because she was popular? Rich? Well-liked? I don't really know any of that stuff, but what I do know is this. Mary was insecure. She was full of fear, doubt, worry. She was young, unmarried, and just plain regular. What was extraordinary about Mary wasn't her position in life, her staggering talent, or her earthly wealth. It was her humility, her faith, and her choice to surrender. We got to begin by accepting and, and embracing the reality of Mary's ordinary life, her regular life, because in it, in that is where all the power of this story begins, and it's where all of it ends. See, what made her extraordinary was the fact that Mary was humble. It's number two on your outline. If there was anything extraordinary about her life, it was the acute awareness that she had that she wasn't, in fact, extraordinary. Why did God use her? Because she was willing to let the power of the Most High overshadow her. She was willing to become less, to become used up, beaten, and worn she saw her life as worthless in comparison to the amazing opportunity to be part of God's plan, to be part of God's story, to play her unique role within it. She didn't say, wait a minute, this doesn't work out well for my life. This wasn't part of my plan. When the angel showed up in her bedroom, which, like, take that in for a minute. <laughs> when the angel showed up in her bedroom, she didn't go, God, I don't have time for this. Like, this doesn't fit with my, my 10-year plan or my 20-year plan. Yeah, I want to have babies, but not yet. I'm not ready. She was humble. She was ready. She was willing. She just submitted to the work God wanted to do within her small life. Her humility is seen all the way through the narrative that I, that I just read and that I want to examine a little bit more tonight. Um, first, it's this. When she was called upon, she was listening. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. It's a, to, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestors, David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. I know. I get it. Most of us read this story and say, yeah, if an angel showed up in my bedroom, I'd probably be listening too. And that's probably true. 
An angel shows up, bright lights, and says, don't be afraid. You're going to listen to whatever comes out of their mouth next. But what I think is unique about Mary is not so much her ears were listening, it's that she was ready, she was available, she was willing. Mary was listening. Mary was, was ready to hear what God had to say and step into whatever he might call her to. Mary was listening. When she didn't understand, she chose to trust. You can spend the next hour just considering the questions running through Mary's head. Women in the room, if you've given birth, if you've been pregnant, and imagine back to the first time you were. Think about the questions that were running through your head. Can I do this? Am I ready for this? What if I screw up? I don't know how to be a parent. I don't know how, to know how to be a mother. Then you add to it the fact that the baby growing inside of her was called the son of God, the savior of the world. Add a few more questions, right? Can this possibly be real? What is Joseph going to think when I tell him that God got me pregnant? I mean, seriously, we read this every year. And I, do we ever laugh? Because it's laughable that any human being would believe that from their fiance. It's craziness. What's going through her head? What if my family doesn't believe me that an angel came to me? What will my friends think? How do you raise the savior of the world? So let that sit for a moment. Again, we let this, we let this story become a cartoon in our lives and we miss these subtle nuances. Mary is in a very strange position. This isn't a position that's, that's fun and exciting. This isn't a great opportunity for her. This is a very humbling moment. This is a lose your life moment. And she's well aware of it. But she chose to trust anyway. She didn't understand. But look at her response to what the angel told her. I'm back in Luke 1, verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age as well. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, and this is what I, I don't want you to miss. To her frustration, to her uncertainty, to her fear, to all of her questions. Maybe the most profound words written in the entire New Testament. She says this, 15-year-old girl just found out she was pregnant with the Savior of the world. She says this, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left. She's confused. She doesn't have all the answers, but she is ready and willing to trust in her God in the midst of, of the most confusing thing that I wonder if anyone has ever experienced any more confusion than this. Questions are a million. And all she has to say is, I'm a servant of the Lord. She says, behold, servant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. It's nuts. There's something powerful in that. When she didn't understand, she chose to trust. Then when she began to understand, she chose to obey. There's this really cool scene at the end of Luke chapter 1 that I think is it's one of my favorites, and, and in my Bible it says Mary's song. So we're getting like a, a glimpse into Mary's sort of personal worship of God. Like it's this moment of, of intimacy between her and God, and she's expressing back to him how she feels about this situation. She's already pregnant. 
I don't know how long it's been exactly, and we don't really need to know. But what we sense from her heart and her spirit is a level of contentment. Not just contentment, and not just embracing the hard stuff that's coming, but an actual joy in it. A freedom to just get excited. Luke 1, verse 46, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's not experiencing blessing in this moment. She's experiencing rejection from everyone in her life. Don't kid yourselves. This response, this prayer, this song she's singing back to God, it isn't a result of her circumstances being great. It isn't because she's been given great things. She's simply saying, I have been blessed by God to be a humble servant in your plan to redeem this world for your glory. She gets it, and she's willing to step into it. She goes on in 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She doesn't just embrace the scary stuff that is ahead for her. She takes joy in it. She takes joy in it. It's a crazy response. Don't miss it. What the angel said to her could change her life forever. Not could, it did. It altered the course of her existence. It came with an incredible amount of hardship, struggle, confusion. This was not going to be easy. It'd be incredibly hard. And it would end with watching this child that she would suffer for. It would end with her watching him being nailed to the cross. Now the life that Mary got called to by this angel in this situation was the hardest life that anyone would ever live. She didn't just embrace it. She rejoiced in it. She marveled in it. She worshipped God. She recognized the blessing. She understood and she obeyed. She chose surrender. This is the heart of someone who is primed to be used by God to change the world. The result of her humility, her willingness, her surrender was profound. That's number three on your outline. Mary was overshadowed by the power of God's grace. The first thing the angel said to Mary when she showed up in her bedroom was, don't be afraid, you have found favor with God. Favor with God can sort of like be understood like, Mary, don't be afraid, you've been given the grace of God. You've been given the grace of God. You've been overshadowed with God's Grace, meaning, yeah, Mary, you are broken, you are ordinary, you are nothing special, but your heart posture of humility has been noticed by God, and now he wants to do something crazy in your life, through your life. And not just for you, but for the entire world. In this moment, Mary, in all her ordinary glory, was overshadowed, overtaken by the power of God's favor, by his grace. Verse 34 of Luke chapter 1, it's pretty unreal. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will over, overshadow you. I want to consider what that means for a minute. To be overshadowed, to be folded into, to be hidden in, to be taken over completely. The angel saying, Mary, your life has been chosen as a tool in God's plan. That means he's taking over your life. He will be great in you as long as you are willing to be stepped on, used up, poured out, emptied for the sake of others. This is the life that God has called Mary into. That's what it means to be overshadowed. You know, it sounds great when you read it. 
sounds amazing, right? You found favor with God. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and, and the power of God's grace is going to overshadow you. It sounds amazing. No, it's a life, it's a life of, of choosing to be nothing, choosing to be broken, choosing to hold on to nothing. And she gladly steps into it. She's going to be overshadowed. This evening, as we begin to wrap up, I want to point out something. This life that Mary was called to is the exact same life that you and I were called to. And this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable. Right? I would love to stand here and give you the most flowery, like feel-good message you've ever heard before and send you out of here to eat some more cookies and enjoy your holiday season. If you are around here very often, you know that I don't really like to do that. But what I do love to do is show people, to show myself, to reflect on the incredible purpose that God has placed on every one of our lives. As we read the story about Mary, we can read our own lives. Because this is the life that God has called and chosen you into, me into. And if that sounds scary to you, good. Because it is. It's hard. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 9, 23. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. See, this story that God is writing on humanity, it's not finished. It's not done. It's our turn. It's your turn. It's my turn to live into the call that God has given every single one of us. This Christmas story, Mary's story, it isn't told to us so that we can enjoy a nice evening of worship and go about our Christmas plans. It is given to us as an example. It's given to us that we might recognize that we are called into this exact same life to be overshadowed, folded into, hidden by the power of the Most High, the grace of God. I want us to walk out of here aware of that tonight and ready to step into it as Mary did. So then the Christmas story becomes an invitation of sorts, not an invitation to observe, not an invitation to sit back, an, an invitation to engage, to dive in headfirst. Being overshadowed starts with an awareness of who I am. Mary understood this and identified herself clearly. As we, as we begin to wrap this thing up, I want, you, I want to shift the focus from Mary to you. I'm still going to keep using her as an illustration, but reflect on your own heart and your own life. Are you willing to be overshadowed? Are you willing to allow the grace of God to become what identifies every aspect of your life? Could you say, behold, the servant of the Lord, may it be done to me and my life according to your word, according to your will, not mine. Being overshadowed starts with an awareness of who I am. And Mary said it like that, I'm the servant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. If I am at the center of my life, I cannot let God overshadow me with his grace. As long as I am in pursuit of me and what I want, what makes me comfortable, I will never experience all that he can and wants to do in and through my life. It begins with recognizing that you and I were made, were created to bring glory to God and be tools in his hands to accomplish his purpose on this earth. And his purpose on this earth is to restore and redeem every heart for his glory, every life for the sake of the gospel. 
Being overshadowed begins with knowing the part that I play in that story. And to take on the posture and the heart of Mary as we say, behold, here I am. That's all that means. My new identity. Servant. Servant of the Lord. Being overshadowed requires a willingness to lay it all down. This is the hardest part and yet the most potent What I find most fascinating about Mary's life is her willingness to just give everything at the drop of a hat. And obviously, there's so much we can look at and point to and that shows us that Mary is just like you and me. She struggled, she wondered, but she was willing to lay it down. She was willing to give it all. I think all of us have this, have this hardwired into us. You may think that sounds really hard and and our culture has moved us to a place where we are so consumed with comfort that it's hard to find it in us anymore. It's hard to find in people anymore. This hardwired desire to give up what we want for the sake of something bigger. And Mary had it and I think you have it too. I think I have it too. And I can think back to a time when I felt it really, really significantly with all three of my kids sitting in the hospital, holding them for the first time, And looking at them and and thinking to myself, there's nothing that I wouldn't do. Literally, there is nothing that I wouldn't do for the sake of this life. I would throw myself on a train track. I'd jump in front of a bullet. I think we're hardwired to feel this way. God is calling each one of us to recognize that his purpose for our lives is to lay them down for the sake of others. For the sake of his plan. For the sake of what he wants to do in and through our lives. Being overshadowed requires a willingness to lay it down. And we're faced every single day with our desire for comfort. And we're faced, every time we're faced with that situation, we have an opportunity to live into the Christmas story. To live into what Advent actually means in our lives. You're going to leave this place tonight. And you're going to have multiple opportunities to either seek self, seek comfort, Or lay it down. We've got a choice all the time. Being overshadowed requires a willingness to lay it down. And being overshadowed takes my life from ordinary to extraordinary. Do you want to live an extraordinary life? There's nobody I don't think that would say no to that. We want that, right? In our world today, in our culture today, we we, we say things like that, like there's something wrong with being ordinary, right? Don't settle for ordinary. Be extraordinary. In God's economy, that flips upside down on top of its head. If you want to be extraordinary, then like Mary, you have to be willing to embrace the ordinary so that God gets the glory. You have to be ready to have every aspect of your life taken away, folded into the character of God. You must simply be overshadowed as long as you and I strive to stand out, be special, take hold of our own lives and be extraordinary, we will simply never be in contention for God's work. He'll simply pass us by for somebody else. Consider that for a minute. He'll pass you up for somebody else who is willing to be overshadowed. God took this broken, small, insignificant, ordinary life and used it to change the world. This is the power of of the grace we are here to celebrate tonight. Grace does more than save. It does more than set free. It does more than just forgive. Yes, those things are amazing, but grace, this kind of uh, of overshadowing grace takes a life that is ordinary and positions it for impact. 
You may think you have nothing to offer, and you don't. It's a good place to start. But in the overshadowing of God's grace, you become something totally different. You become an agent for change, for hope, for restoration. Mary's extraordinary was this. I want you to hear it. She got to birth the Son of God. She got to hold the Messiah and gaze into the eyes of grace. She got to usher into the world the one that would right all the wrongs, mend all of the broken. When she held him for the first time, she was holding the child that had come to lavish grace on the entire world. She was holding her Savior, the one who would free her from the curse of sin and destroy the power of death. This is her extraordinary. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you in that moment when she was holding Jesus, that it was worth everything she'd gone through. Choosing to embrace that ordinary allowed her to experience extraordinary. What does God want with your life? What is your extraordinary? If you would let the power of his grace overshadow you, it's people, it's real people, because people are the only thing that really matters. God wants to take your life and position it for maximum impact in this world by the power of his grace. Here's what I believe Mary's story is telling us tonight. Don't settle for the kind of cheap grace that just sets you free. Grab hold of the kind of grace that sets you free and propels you into a life that embodies that grace to a watching world, to be overshadowed by the power of the Almighty, being folded into him in the power of purpose.